Hello and welcome to episode number 75, kind of a milestone episode of the Exit Velo podcast and another big episode given that we have regular season baseball back at last. Gentlemen, I know you all are feeling great about that. I am joined here with Adam Cohen and great to have Ben Rossi back on the show again. Ben, it's been a while, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be back more riled up or hyped than this great start of the baseball season and it's just so it's just such a remarkable time this is where i feel like baseball this is where i feel like baseball takes center stage and this is really baseball's time to shine make a comeback for sure absolutely in the spotlight definitely with the opening weekend opening day especially adam i'm sure you were watching those yankees feeling good yourself my friend Yes, I was only able to watch opening day because today I've played paintball for the first time, and you could maybe I was on the other side, uh, the little welt to my neck. So got shot a little bit hard, but it was a lot of fun. And opening day, of course, was a lot of fun too. Dressed up in my Marion Rivera jersey. I tried ordering some wings, but they only had pickup, so I couldn't do that. So I just bought some sushi, some deli sushi at school, and had myself a blast and just scorecard of the game. That's what it's all about, man. An interesting weekend, too. Getting some uh, paintball action in as well. Uh, and good to see you came away with a battle scar, but mm-hmm. hopefully uh, he gave, gave out a couple of those as well. Dish him out in addition to, to taking them. But as we begin the show tonight, uh, we've got a little bit of COVID-19 to still talk about, unfortunately. And it's kind of eerie. It was, uh, I believe, the eve before the season last year, the Nationals had Juan Soto get diagnosed with COVID and the Nationals have another player positive. I still don't think it's been reported who that player was, uh, but we do know that they had one player confirmed positive for COVID-19 and then four players and a coach were identified as close close contacts. As a result, the Nationals-Mets series was postponed and there's Not any word yet on when the Nationals are going to return to action, but it's looking like the Mets uh, will at least resume play Monday against Philadelphia. And I guess this kind of just goes to show that we are not yet out of the weeds in the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, it's definitely unfortunate about how this weekend started for the Mets and Nationals. Both of these teams look revitalized. They have new looks on their team, new players. For the Mets, of course, they have Lindor. They're bringing back... Of course, Jake the Grom, and now he throws 102. So they were all very excited to see him. The Nationals, they have Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber, some new powerful hitters in their lineups. This is supposed to be a very fun series. Lots of good pitching, lots of great hitting. But unfortunately, Mets and Nationals fans have to wait a little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing for sure on opening night. I mean, if, if, if this didn't, hadn't, hadn't happened, then there was also, of course, the other game that was rained out. I'm trying to Remember, I mean, Red Sox Orioles got pushed back a day. Red Sox Orioles, yeah, that was the one. It was rained out, but those two games being canceled, it was just really disappointing because this would have been the first time since 1968 that every team, that every single team, opened on the exact same day. So that would have been something special. But nonetheless, we got most of our action. If we were able to make up games, get through last year, I can, I can definitely see us getting through this 160 two game season will still be a question of how though and teams still need to still need to kind of get themselves together with following the protocol following protocols better so we don't have more of these like we did have to deal with last year 
That is good perspective too, Ben, that we have cause for optimism that they were able to get through the season last year and kind of gave some precedent into how rescheduling and, and working through these things is going to work. So feeling a little bit better that we're not going into this cold like last year. And it, I'm sure it helps too having vaccinations kind of more readily available to hopefully where outbreaks like these will be less and less common. Um, but yeah, something to keep an eye on, certainly with the Nationals uh, not yet knowing when they're going to return to play. So we'll still be waiting on the on the debut of those seasons. Mets coming Monday at least. But other big bit of MLB news, uh, the league announced that the All-Star game and the first-year player draft are going to be pulled uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia. Commissioner Manfred said this decision was made in response to a new Georgia law that Civil rights groups worry could um, limit voting rights, uh, particularly for people of color and, and living in urban areas. So I, big news here. Uh, there's not yet any plans uh, for where that All-Star game is going to be moved to, although Commissioner Manfred says it's going to be happening soon. It's a big move. Kind of surprising, guys. I, I, I mean, it's good to see, I think, the league taking a stand on what they represent, uh, but it came as a surprise to me. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, Henry, but I think this decision was also made by some of the players' alliance. I, I don't think this was just MLB alone. That, that is correct. Thank you, Adam, for, for mentioning that as well. Uh, Commissioner Manfred did cite that, yeah, they sat down, talked with the players, uh, that I, I guess some of them may have been uncomfortable in, in moving forward with this. I, I know it, it had been an issue, too, and, and some sponsors, I believe, had reached out to the league, and there would have perhaps been some pushback on had they gone ahead and done the all-star game in Atlanta, but yeah, yeah it's, it's not going to be there. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. You were both, both those things happen. I mean, the players Alliance players association kind of spoke out, but then some people, I mean, there's still speculation of whether the MLB was really fully influenced by the player association or Alliance. The MLB still has a lot to prove there and in their relationship with the players union players Alliance and how they move forward in causes because there was definitely a lot of corporate pressure in this companies like office depot were threatening with the state so they had they definitely so so there was definitely corporate sponsorship played a big part in that but like i but like an ammo but like it's great to see i mean the mlb finally following in these long in some long over do moves to show that they can actually take some political action like the nba did a few years ago and they boycotted the all-star game in charlotte but i still think think the ML the MLB has a lot to prove with having discussions about this kind of topic here. And I still I still hope that they do something with honoring Atlanta, honoring Hank Aaron's legacy this year in the All-Star game and maybe potentially in the future if Georgia changes in one way or another, they might decide to relocate a future All-Star game there. But that's just speculation of the future. But I'm really hoping they still follow through with some of the other good stuff they were going to do with the All-Star game this year in Georgia. That kind of brings up a good point too, Ben, in that, you know, really like the Braves, Braves fans, uh, baseball fans in Atlanta and and small businesses for, for sure as well that would have been counting on that extra business from the All-Star game. They're largely the losers of this. And and, and I, I understand why Manfred and the league wanted to take that stance, but I do hope that somewhere down the line, maybe there is some kind of, of action to pay back the Braves for missing out on that All-Star game when it's it's not the player's fault. It's not the club's fault that the state passed that law. So hopefully there would be some kind of action coming down the line, but we haven't heard anything as to what that could be yet. 
I'm also wondering about what the possible ramifications of this boycott is. And for example, if another Republican state were to issue this type of voting laws, I wonder if MLB would also take action. This kind of sets a precedent, and it's a very new precedent too, because usually MLB, unlike a lot of other sports, are not as politically active. So this is also kind of maybe an olive branch in some ways with the Players Alliance, just trying to say like, hey, we might disagree on a variety of issues, but in this regard, we do uh, agree and we're there for each other. I also uh, highly recommend to any fans to check out the New York Times article that dives into specifics about um, the new uh, voter ID laws. It's, it's more than just ID laws. There's other specific rules that come in place with it. So it's, it's always good to be knowledgeable about like what's going on in the situation. Because I know there are some rumors out there that it's just about everyone having a voting ID, but it's more than that. That's a great point, Adam. I had heard that as well, that it's just having an ID uh, was was a misconception that I had heard in my circle, see that going around on social media, but it does seem to be quite a bit more complicated than that. And, and really a lot of measures that just all around make it more difficult for people to vote. And my interpretation was was kind of aimed at limiting turnout, which you know I don't think that's really great, whatever you believe in, whatever side you happen to you know, whatever your politics are. So good on the league, I think, for for making a stance, but certainly a great question as well to wonder what kind of precedent this does set down the line. Because, I mean, once you open that door, uh, you you kind of put a little bit of pressure on yourself. If a similar situation arises, at what are you going to do the next time a state has an all-star game and you disagree with a similar type law that they may have? Yeah, and I mean, I think one way to approach it might be maybe going about a model or maybe if, like they use a state that's been a little more exemplary in the process. I don't mean like being a state, oh, it's that state's more politically progressive, that state's more politically, politically this way, so we got to host it there. Instead, I just think going about like seeing, like like you were saying, it doesn't matter what party you belong to, this whole thing, like it's kind of a big issue. So if they went to a state that was maybe that they could, could, they could talk about a little more exemplary in the whole thing thing is a better example that maybe that would be the best state to relocate to this year as like they still haven't announced the relocation site this year and at least if you're not doing one that's like an exemplary great example don't go to you know another state where you could point and say that oh the voting laws are, are just as bad there so definitely some pressure in regards to that decision as well do you all have any uh wild guesses you want to take on where the all-star game may end up being you're putting us on the spot here, Henry. That is a tough decision. Twenty nine. I actually places. have a couple of speculations. I mean, from just what I've been seeing on social media, just based on teams I, based on two teams I, I mean, two teams and states I follow pretty heavily. I mean, one of the one of the San Francisco Chronicle beat writers, John Shea for the A's, was saying that he would love to he, he would love to welcome the. He thinks maybe that the All Star Game could be welcome. He'd love to welcome it to Oakland. Of course, I mean, based on our. Based on how obsolete our stadium is, that's not going to be a very popular choice. They're probably waiting for the new stadium for any of that to take place. But then other people, like I saw a couple politicians from Colorado, Colorado Governor Jared Polis, Colorado Representative Diana DeGette was saying they definitely welcome the All-Star Game to come back to Coors Field again. So there are a couple speculations there. I mean, those those places would be... I could I could definitely see the All Star Game going back to Coors Field. I mean, no, it wasn't. It was held there not too long ago. Like I think back in 04, 05. But the way Colorado's changed, the way it's been an evolving state, I wouldn't. That wouldn't surprise me if that's one place. That's just a possibility. 
And how awesome would it be to have a home run derby in Coors Field? <laughs> I'd see some I crazy totals there. I would want to see Stan compete, Aaron Judge compete, Joey Gallagher. I want to see like 550-foot bombs because that's that's a possibility in that ballpark. I, I'm in for Colorado for that reason alone, and I'm sure we'd get a nice high-scoring all-star game as well. The pitchers may not love it, but – yeah, I think that could be a good location. And, and yeah, I, I appreciate that too, Ben. Sounds like there's actually some reasoning, you know, behind that, some some noise uh from sources that indicate it could be an option. Now that's a, an educated guess, if you will. So keep an eye on that. I, I don't have any kind of wild guess really to provide other than I guess it wouldn't be uh the Dodgers because they're scheduled to have it next year. So we can rule them out. But let's move on and talk about the baseball that has happened from our opening weekend series. And we're just we'll kind of just go series by series, break them down, uh, the the takeaways, the big notes that we have here. And one of the first things that caught my eye checking box scores throughout the weekend, guys, is an offensive explosion in that Royals Rangers series. And who the heck would have saw that coming, man? Not offenses we really expected a whole lot out of coming into the year. And game one, we see the Royals winning 14 to 10. That was insane. Uh, we had four RBIs in that game for Nate Lowe of the Rangers. And then Michael Taylor of the Royals had three RBIs, three hits, and a home run. Pretty crazy series there, guys. You can't take too many things away from opening day. So we never know how Nate Lowe will do over the course of a full season or Michael A. Taylor. Taylor's been a fourth outfitter his entire career, but this is a good look for both the Royals and Rangers with these two players because Taylor might get a lot of time in center field. He can maybe fight for a starting position, which he hasn't had throughout his career. Then you also look at Nate Lowe, who was kind of blocked at first base by the Rays, is now getting his chance for the Rangers and is already paying dividends for that organization. Yeah, I mean, the Royals were one of those teams that I, I actually I actually kind of saw as maybe being a dark horse going into this year. I mean, they made some some good, decent acquisitions. I mean, the the, range, the Rangers. I, I mean, the Rangers were kind of the more shocking offensive team for sure. I'm not gonna lie about that. But like the Royals, I mean, with Michael A. Taylor, a few, uh, a few, a few other guys they acquired. I think I think they could definitely be one of the one of the offensive dark horses. No, I don't think they'll compete in the in the AL Central, given how competitive it's supposed to be. But I think they're definitely going to be one breakout team to keep an eye on this year. And that Royals offense actually went on to score 11 runs today in the second game of that series, taking that one as well, 11-4 to four over the Rangers. So there could be something to that. They could be a dark horse offensive team to watch, and they made some moves over the offseason, bringing in Andrew Benatendi to uh, Carlos Santana. So I don't think they'll compete either, Ben, but something to keep an eye on. Uh, but some more offensive fireworks in the Cardinals and Red series, uh, notably Luis Castillo getting lit up for six runs in the first inning. My fantasy team did not love that. Drafted Castillo pretty high, uh, so that was upsetting, but – Great to see all the offense in that series and Nolan Arenado having an amazing debut uh, for the Cardinals. But him and Paul Goldschmidt teaming up for seven hits in that first game in which the Cardinals went on to win 11-6 to and actually saw some, some more offensive fireworks in game two earlier today, which is actually still going on right now. 
But we saw, actually, no, it's over. Sorry. The Reds won nine to six. I think that one just wrapped up maybe uh, since we began the show. But some other fireworks, too. I don't know if you guys saw. There was a little bit of a brawl in that game. Yeah, you got to always love a good brawl, especially an opening weekend. I mean, that just starts off the season on a good note. Maybe not for the players involved in the brawl, but for the fans, because there's always this notion that baseball is not a contact sport until it is. And you got to love these moments, too. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was something pretty hilarious. I mean, in terms of it's going to be a good last laugh, good last word. I mean, these two teams, too, it's kind of establishing another good rivalry between the Reds and the Cardinals. Like, I remember a year, like maybe 10 years ago when they had, or 11 years ago when there was the brawl between Yadier, Molina, Brandon Phillips, that big bench clearing brawl. And now this, and now this time, Castellanos getting getting hit and him on the last word taunting pitcher Jake Woodruff after he scored and then <laughs> causing the bench clearing. So this is, this is definitely some, I mean, we want to see some, some storybook stuff to start the s- season and, and storybook entertainment that fans are looking for. And like you guys said, this is the, this is the first example of that I would say. <laughs> Yeah, just good for, you know, competition and, and two division rivals going head to head. They obviously do not care for each other very much. There's a history kind of a fighting there. I still remember what you're talking about, Ben, that brawl like a decade ago as Johnny Cueto like backed up against the net, like spiking everybody with his cleats. Uh, Yadier Molina always does seem to be in the middle of these somehow too, but a fierce competitor and a trash talker, perhaps one of the better ones in the game, but it was from what I heard of this brawl earlier. It sounded pretty awesome. Is is Nicholas Castellanos got like drilled with a fastball? He like picked it up and asked the pitcher, "He's like, do you want this back or something?" <laughs> and then later ends up coming around to score on a wild pitch and is just like standing over the pitcher, like taunting him, and is like, "Let's go!" And then the bench is he ran him over and, too. And, yeah, That's and, and then the rest. He ran him over coming in. <laughs> And then, yeah, the rest is history. The The bench is clear. Teams don't like each other. And I think it's good for baseball. We need a little more entertainment value these days, grow the game, and, and certainly don't want anybody to get hurt. But it's fun to watch. And so, like I said, the Cardinals – or I'm sorry, the Reds did end up going on to win that game 9-6. Uh, to six. So even the series 1-1, one to one, that'll be a fun uh, matchup to watch throughout the rest of the year. A little bit of a surprising uh, series I want to talk about next. The Tigers getting the best of Shane Bieber in game one. And I think they may have actually, yeah, went on to win five to two today as well. That's surprising, guys. I was pretty surprised by this as well, especially because Miguel Cabrera hit the first home run of the season, which felt like a godsend because everyone loves Miggy. This guy is just a character. He's one of the best players to race the game over the past decade. And this man slides into second thinking it was a double and not a home run. And I also love the fact how it was snowing in Cleveland. And then like an hour later, it's just completely sunny out because the weather has just been acting crazy here along the East Coast. So it was just a fun all-around game. Of course, the Tigers won the first two games of the series, which is amazing because they're led by new manager A.J. Hinch. They add a couple more pieces to their team. It's a nice start for them, especially since they might lose 100 games this year. <laughs> And another thing is, I mean, Tigers have everything to look forward to, too. Even if they do lose that 100 games, it's a great start considering how they have a they have a really good farm system, some really good prospects like Mize, 
Tok Tolix, Spencer Tok Tolixin, I think is how you pronounce his name. And so the Tigers already, it's, is signing with their future, but then to see kind of Miguel Cabrera re-emerge too. I've kind of, I mean, I th- it's, it's funny to see, I mean, just after back-to-back triple crowns, he kind of, in 2012, 2013, he's almost kind of fallen off the radar a lot, if you will, but then but then to see him relevant again, it's, it's definitely something special to see. And it's kind of great to remind fans that there are still some, that there are some still some great hopeful veterans out there. In a, in, in a young game like this. <laughs> and something else to watch too with Miguel Cabrera this year. I think he's closing in on 500 home runs. He's got like 15 or so to get there. And he's closing in on 3,000 hits as well. I think he needs like 140 or so to get to that. So two big milestones very much in play there. Something else to look forward to and what will probably be a pretty long season for Detroit. But I mean, they opened up on a great note beating Cleveland, who we don't know how great they're going to be this year either, but certainly a bright start to the AJ Hinch era. And I, I do think that they're going to steadily improve over these next couple of years, but it may still be a couple of years until they're playoff bound. Next, I want to go and talk about the A's and Astros series, one that is has pretty much been all Astros. Uh, granted, it's only been two games thus far, but Another division rivalry starting off at the beginning of the year and a hard-fought rivalry over the last couple of years. We're going to see these teams duke it out quite a bit over the season, and we expect them to be around the top of the standings for sure in the AL West. I think the divisions this year are super competitive. There seems to be two teams in almost every division really vying for the title. So to already start the season out between the A's and Astros and already seeing the Astros get booed by A's fans <laughs> in the ballpark, that's a wonderful feeling. They didn't really have the opportunity to do that last year. And we're already seeing some explosive fireworks. We're seeing and some of the Astros players get back into form. We have Alex Bregman, who's belted two home runs in the series so far. Jose Altuve scored in a pop fly the other day and was running 30.4 miles per hour, which is insane. So his speed hasn't left him despite him stealing less spaces. So this will be a fun rivalry to watch throughout the season. Yeah, as much as you guys, with all this excitement and everything, I'm, I've fallen into a state of disappointment these last three days. <laughs> I mean, it was a great, it was a great honor. I'm not going to, it was a definitely great honor to be back out at the ballpark. I was at last night's game. It was it was a great honor to finally be there, finally be around the crowd noise, the crowd chaos, finally be, a, be able to like t- t- to yell cheetah in the stands <laughs> among all the A's fans. Like I, I never, I never was expect, I never knew when the next time I finally get, get a chance to be one of those fans that was out there to yell it again or, or be around fans to yell it again like that. But but like other than that, I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying I didn't expect the Astros to be this good, but they are off to one hell of a start. But it's also just the everything about the A's has so far looked really disappointing. So I hate to rain on this party, but like right now, this certainly doesn't look like division champs. I mean, the A's do have a couple couple rough injuries to start the year. Trevor Rosenthal, newly acquired reliever. Mike Fires, unfortunately, is not going to be able to open up against the team he blew the whistle on. <laughs> the the Astros team, and because and I mean it's not because of our injuries, but it's been such a rough start, particularly for bullpen. Like going into this game, I don't know what it is today, but our pitching had like the second highest ERA on the first couple days, so we have had some struggles there. And so far, our team's only hit one home run this year. And it's been by a guy who was who was only 
It's been why our utility infielder Chad Pinless, like none of our real power bats have really come through yet. Olsen's been hit, been actually hitting pretty well. He's been well disciplined at the plate, but he hasn't hit a home. But I mean, he hasn't hit a home run yet, so that's kind of frustrated a lot of fans. Chapman's struggling to find his way out the gate. Loriano got injured last night, so it's it's already been frustrating for the A's in this first week, and we're we're down once again. We're probably about we're on the verge. A fall, a falling to Owen Freeman might have the game. I don't know if the game was already fi- finalized with the score, but we were we were down by a we were down by a lot, and our offense is just not fully clicking corners and scoring position. Our bullpen just no factors have really been coming together yet. Other than the fact that we've been taking good discipline at bats, that's been the one thing that's maybe promising for the team. But we're gonna have to turn ourselves around next series against the World Series champion Dodgers. <laughs> and Ben, I do have bad news for you. The Astros did win that one 9-1, to one, so the A's have fallen to 0-3. But it's a long season, man. You guys got time to bounce back, time to rebound there. But thus far, yeah, the Astros have looked pretty freaking amazing. Maybe they found a new way to cheat or something. Uh, maybe new silent trash cans that are like only programmed to the frequency that Astros hitters can hear when they're being banged on or something. I don't know what's going on in there at Houston. They're pretty smart. They can find a way to cheat if they want to. But, yeah, the A's possibly missing some of those guys that departed in free agency. I know Liam Hendricks would help with those bullpen woes so far, especially missing Trevor Rosenthal, newly acquired guy who said is on the shelf. Um, Marcus Simeon did hit a home run today for the Blue Jays, so could miss that power as well And what sounds like it's been a drought so far. But long season, a lot of time to turn it around and – Another team that's going to be looking to turn around uh, kind of a rocky start to the season and a rocky last year as well, last two years, in fact, the Boston Red Sox still uh, looking to get back to 2018 form. They lost the first two games of the season to the Orioles. Uh, And in that first game of the season, that one was pushed back from Thursday, as we mentioned, due to rain delay. And John Means of the Baltimore Orioles just went out there and threw an absolute gym. Seven innings pitched, five Ks, one hit allowed, no runs, no walks, and gets the win over Boston, which is a very good lineup, performed very well in spring training. And then not much doing, though, for the Red Sox in in the early season here. Really can't hate the Orioles, and it's nice to see that their ace of the staff, John Means, did well in his first start because he's not as popular of an ace. There's not too many players that are very well-known the Orioles, but he has one of the best starts to the season so far. And that was great to see. Also, Trey Mancini is back on the field for the Orioles. So that's come full circle after recovering from cancer. And I think there's like even some inside stories coming out about how he dealt with it. And all these hashtags of bigger than baseball is he's a great player. He was, he had like 90 RBIs for the Orioles a couple seasons ago. So they surely miss his presence in the clubhouse and misses bat too. And now that's all coming together for them. Yeah, it is. I mean, you guys touched on both parts of it. John Means. I hadn't heard of. I hadn't even heard of this guy, and he and he comes out and puts up perhaps one of the best opening day performances. I mean, up up there with Tyler Glass, and I was obviously, which we'll get to later. But but yeah, and then Trey Mancini coming back from cancer is just going to be already one of the greatest comeback stories, probably for this whole year in sports so far. And then speaking of teams looking 
to rebound and potentially maybe somewhat shock people or a team that underperforms a lot is the Angels. So I'll go to that series now. Angels, White Sox, Angels playing against the White Sox, who are a team with really high expectations. And Giolito shines five in the third inning pitch, strikes out eight. Two hits, two earned runs, but the Angels ultimately prevail four to three. But then in game two today, the White Sox won 12 to eight. So I want to count the Angels out, even though they always end up underperforming. But I think if they have, since they have every player healthy, and if they can have some good years from some of their players like Trout and Pujols in his, I mean, Trout, they don't have to worry about having a good year from, but like if Pujols can give them some numbers and his fair well tour, maybe we will finally see the Angels actually translate that into wins. And I was watching that game on opening night, and Giolito looked great, but just seeing how scary that lineup could be for the Angels in the middle where you go Otani, Trout, Rendon, and then I mean, you still got Albert Pujols and Justin Upton who can give you some decent offensive production at Seems like they definitely have enough supporting cast for Trout on the offensive side of the ball. It's really the pitching, which is is always kind of the shaky thing for them, always the question mark. And Dylan Bundy was really good in the opener, uh, kept them in that game to where they could rally late and take the win. But it's not really a whole lot to be excited about in that rotation. After Bundy, they did go out and get Rysel Iglesias, who got his first uh, Alos or first Alos save. On Friday, uh, it was Thursday night, actually. Um, so uh, get a little bit better in that bullpen. Actually, I, I saw today, too, that Ty Buttery is leaving baseball, uh, stepping away from the game, and, and kind of just wrote a long post about how he, for a long time he just felt like he was playing for other people, trying to like prove other people wrong and realized that he, he never really loved the game all that much anyway. So, I mean, good for him, I guess, for, for making a decision that seems like it's, it's the best thing for him, and he – wants to do something else with his life. So good on him. Sorry. That's kind of a side note. I just remembered I saw that on Twitter, but yeah, it'll, I think pitching really uh, to, to reel us back into to what I was talking about. Um, but I think pitching is going to be the thing to watch for the angels going forward. I'm happy that you mentioned about Ty buttery because I actually did not know about this and it must be really hard for someone who like makes it as a major leader just to figure it out through, I'm sure, a lot of soul searching and say, hey, this isn't for me. I'm playing for other people. You don't really hear that type of reasoning for leaving the game all too often. You don't really hear players leaving the game for that type of reason at all. So it's a pretty incredible story. And I also want to mention how Mark Appel is trying to make another comeback. He was the Astros' top prospect, I believe, in 2013. And one of the few top prospects of all time, number one pits, who just did not make it to the majors. And he had, I think, some mental health issues. He was under immense pressure. He was part of the famous Ken Giles trade that when he got sent to the Astros. And now he's kind of cleared his head. I think he's still in his 20s or so, and he's making for a comeback. So that'll be an interesting story. Yeah, and speaking of interesting stories, young breakouts. Well, first, I just want to say with the Angels pitching, I mean, suppose that I just heard today reportedly Joe Joe Madden on Sunday is going to have Shohei Otani both pitch and hit tomorrow. And I think I think with the Angels pitching, they definitely have the potential. I know Otani's had some control problems in spring training, but he's like he's he's hit triple digits, and he's I think he's capable of having a great year. And he and I mean Otani might be able to help carry the Angels pitching rotation, bring those improvements we see to them. Because I know you alluded to pitching as a weakness, but with Otani that could make a big 
difference. Of course, today, though, Andrew Heaney got lit up seven earned runs in three innings. And then speaking of young minor league stories, like you were saying, Adam, White Sox DH, Yerman Marseille, who's actually technically the White Sox third string catcher, went five for five and with four RBIs today. I mean, this is something his story is interesting because apparently he played 617 minor league games and he just he, and, and he just didn't didn't really just kept not thinking he'd really make it there and stuff. But now here he is at here. He is finding himself in the spotlight in the white as a centerpiece for the white Sox big 12, eight win today or yesterday. Yeah. And I had no idea who that guy was. That was like the first time I'd ever seen his name. And yeah, I guess it makes sense a dude, a career minor leaguer, even playing some independent league baseball. So definitely a feel good story. Seeing him go five for five, get some shine and help his team get an important win uh, for the White Sox. who We expect to be a playoff team. It helps to get those types of performances. Every game counts, even at the beginning of the season. Um, But I do appreciate you too mentioning Otani, Ben. I would kind of completely forgotten about him and the, Angels pitching rotation. Maybe that's because he's always hurt and never pitches, but he does have amazing, amazing stuff. And it's going to be awesome to see him play both ways. And it it does sound like Joe Madden and the Angels are going to pretty much let him go and not have those rules that we've seen with him in the previous years where like he's not hitting the day before or after he pitches. It's going to, it sounds like it's going to be as much Otani as they can possibly get. And I think that's the right move for the Angels. Obviously, you got to manage Otani because you don't want him hitting the injured list again. And that'd be a nightmare. It's kind of been a bit of a rough start for Otani. He's shown that he can perform, of course, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field all that much. So they got to manage him wisely. But at the same time, the Angels haven't been to the playoffs in a very long time. And Otani's one of their better players and could be the best pitcher in the rotation, too, when he's on point. So they need to use him well. And just going back to Mercedes, he was the first player to go five for five in his first career start since, or at least get five hits, since Cecile Travis of the Washington Centers when he went five for seven in 1933. Fred Clark also did this for the Louisville Colonels in 1894 too. So just an incredible historic start and a great performance from someone who was a career minor leaguer. Great, great performance indeed. One of the great breakout, one of the great stories of persistence in the game that should that should go down for years. And then now moving on to the uh, to the other side of Chicago. So Cubs lost Game One to the Pirates five to three, and they're currently currently the score in Game Two of that series. It's going on right now is. It's five one final, baby. Cubbies won. Hope it ended up being a final. <laughs> All right, so Cubs, Cubs avenge that loss with a five one final victory. Henry, I mean that must feel great. Cubs get their first victory of the season. Tell me about it. It did, it did feel great. I was not flying very high after uh, the game one loss to the Pirates. I was kind of hoping we'd come out and get a sweep and show that we can be one of those contending teams in the NL Central because the Pirates pretty much look like they're supposed to be the doormat, uh, the bottom feeders there, and. They pretty much dominated. It should have been a bigger – it should have been a blowout, really, in game one. The Pirates just had, like, two, three base runners on every single inning. Kyle Hendricks was not sharp. Uncharacteristically, the control wasn't there. He was walking a bunch of guys, giving up hits. He only threw three innings. Uh, he's usually a bit more – you know, give us more stamina than that as well. Uh, and then the Cubs offense pretty non-existent for game one is – 
as well. But they showed up here in game two. Uh, Chris Bryant hit his first home run of the season. Good to see a little bit of power returning for him. Hopefully he's fully healthy now. Jason Hayward hit a ball like pretty much to the moon, a, a very long home run. It's surprising not a guy who hits a whole ton of homers, but Cubs offense looked better today. I think one of the couple big stories in game two is Jake Arrieta returning to the mound for the Cubs, and he looked amazing. Six innings of one-run baseball. It's kind of a different Arietta than we saw last time around for the Cubs. The velocity isn't so much there. He's more of a control guy now these days and all, still has that good movement on his uh, fastball and a sinker that he throws as well. But other big story for the Cubs today is Craig Kimbrell came into the ninth and struck out the side, and his stuff looked really sharp. I know he's had a very, very rocky road as a Cub, but if he can be an impact guy at the end of that bullpen, that's definitely going to help in the NL Central race. I got to say, I love all these takeaways that we can already kind of get from opening weekend because we have no idea how the rest of the season can unfold, even just from series to series, even from half the season by the all-star break. So it's it's interesting to see where the Cubs are at right now, where the rotation really lives and dies of Kyle Hendricks. He needs to be on point. Uh, you look at Arietta, for example, he could be a great number two if he can find some back of his find back some of his 2015 2016 form and it's also just nice to see Bryant go deep and especially after having a rough 2020 season it is some it is something good for sure to see I mean it, it can help it can help everything look up for the Cubs and they could un, they couldn't maybe unexpectedly be another breakthrough team like they were last year I mean I wasn't expecting too much of them last year either but they kind of proved everything wrong. I mean, there's a lot more, they're in one of the more open divisions in the National League Central. So there's definitely something to look forward to there. One of the matchups that I found one most compelling this week, though, is the next one here. It's the Marlins. Marlins taking on the Rays. Battle of Florida, game one. Total pitchers duel. Rays win one nothing with the Austin Meadows home run. And... And how about Tyler Glass now? Six innings pitch, one hit, zero on the run, six Ks, zero walks. I mean, his cutter, as you guys were saying, looks filthy. And he just has – it's just such a big discrepancy between, like, the speeds of his different pitches. The Rays definitely still have a great anchor in his rotation. I mean, they don't see, they didn't seem – so far So far that hasn't bothered them, the loss of a couple of their big pitchers like Blake Snell and Charlie Morton in the offseason. And that's just how it is for the Rays, man. It's always next man up is just going to step up and, and find a way to get it done. And maybe they're not the most impressive team on paper, but they just always exceed expectations, find ways to win. Tyler Glass now, though, is a guy who is impressive on paper. The one kind of stud that they have in that rotation. And he very much did look the part, as that stat line been read there shows. And yeah, it's kind of a sliding cutter, his new pitch that he debuted, and it was filthy. And that was kind of always the knock on Glass now, that he was only a two-pitch pitcher. Granted, it was it was very effective with his fastball and his, his curveball as well. But now having that, that sliding cutter action, and it's something he's featuring quite a bit. I think he threw it like 35% of the time in that start. So he's comfortable with it, and it's nasty. And Definitely giving hitters fits there. So interesting to see how, how Glass now is, if he can continue to, you know, get results with that pitch moving forward. And 
if the Rays are going to let him acquire or build up a whole bunch of innings, that's, that's kind of something to watch as well with his usage. But on the other side of the ball, Alcantara was great for the Marlins as well. He had six innings pitched in, in that opening day game, two hits, two walks, seven Ks, no earned runs. So definitely a pitcher's duel, and, and he's a name to watch as well. This is when it was an exciting series to watch. It's very close games. In game two, we all saw a couple of lead changes. The Marlins were ahead at one point, but then Joey Wendell had a three-run homer. And Wendell was also someone that we kind of forgot about maybe in the offseason. He had an amazing postseason performance. I don't know if he was really too high on our third baseman list, but he could be up there. He has great gap-to-gap power. He's a line drive hitter, can hit around 300, and he's really cemented himself as the Rays' third baseman as well. So he had a great start too, and just going back to glass now, if this man can develop that slider cutter and use it effectively on a consistent basis, that's a scary thought because he looked like a front runner for the Cy Young Award at the start of 2020, and then he got injured, and he had some postseason troubles as well, and to just come back, knock off the rust, and have a good game one start, that's going to look really good for the Rays. And I just want to also shine the spotlight a little bit on Alcantara. I mean, Alcantara, he, he just looked really tough to hit. I mean, the fact that he has that rare, like, lower 90s changeup that's in the 90s, like, that's something there. And then he can hit close to triple digits. So I think Alcantara can be – a, a, can be a, a crucial ace that can maybe that can maybe make the Marlins a little more of a break on. He has he has a really great future down the line. His career too, and they're going to need a lot from him because Sixto Sanchez uh, starting the season off in the minors, and now I think he's apparently banged up, getting some kind of shoulder MRI, I believe. So they'll need big innings from Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, uh, Eliezer Hernandez. They've, they've got decent pitchers, but yeah, you know, it, it's harder without Sixto for sure. That takes us on to the Yankees and Blue Jays series where we saw kind of another not quite as duelish pitcher duel in game one, but both Cole and Ryu looking sharp. Adam, I know we were talking that that you did tune in and watch opening day. If you'd like to take the lead on breaking that one down. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it. Honestly, I was a little bit disappointed by the pitcher stool. Like they both kept the ball in play for the most part, but I was expecting these sit innings from both of them, especially since they're both kind of considered workhorses for the rotation. And that was just a really tough game one for the Yankees because it looks like they were in command of the game. And then it looks like manager Aaron Boone just kept in Cole for a little bit too long. He was around the 90 pitch mark and then Teoscar Hernandez tied up the game. And we also got to see the extra inning rule in effect in the 10th inning where they put in Nick Nelson, who is a young rookie pitcher. And he goes in and gives up a RBI double, a ball that Aaron judge could have caught and, that was pretty much the game. So that was really unfortunate. But uh, game two, of course, which happened today, Corey Kluber made his Yankee debut. He allowed two earned runs in four innings, so not a bad start from him. He's still getting elongated through about 74 pitches. And then Gary Sanchez, of course, homered again. And he's looked great so far. Yankees are really unsure about what they're going to get from Sanchez. They're going to get a 2020 Sanchez or a 2018 Sanchez. But – Hopefully this is the Sanchez they're seeing, someone who can hit the ball with power, with authority, and throw out runners with ease too. Yeah, Gary Sanchez is one of the big question marks as far as as far as catchers go in this season. He definitely has ability to be one of the be one of those great breakthrough catchers that the Yankees that the Yankees get a good 
a good deal on two, given that like he's had some inconsistencies in the past few years. And then Ryu and Cole, Ryu and Cole was something amazing to see them deal with that. I mean, Cole, I mean Cole looked very competitive. He was freezing freezing hairs even with his straight fastball in the upper nineties. And it's, it was an interesting contrast to Ryu, who doesn't throw as hard but locates his pitchers well. I think this is going to be one of the I, I would argue the AL East has some of the most exciting pitching matchups will have the most exciting pitching matchups to watch of any division in 2021 I mean not to mention we also had Tyler Glass on this week I mean I know that it was mostly just this week is what's jumping out so far but I, I really think the AL West is going to be something special when it comes to when it comes to pitching as well even more talent on the way too. We got Luis uh, Saverino and Chris Sale working their way back from Tommy John. So some more talent waiting in the wings there. But before we move on to the next series, Adam, I've heard some people mention this. Is Gary Sanchez, do people call him the Kraken? Yep, that is a nickname for him. I have no idea why. I think, actually, I think it originates from a John Sterling call. So that's his reasoning. But they also call him El Gary too. So... A lot of fun, creative nicknames from one of the voices of the New York Yankees. Okay. Well, release the Kraken. Keep hitting those home runs, Gary. I know he's supposed to be really good in an odd-numbered year. So by that logic, 2021 should be a big year for Gary Sanchez. But moving on from that, uh, one of the other favorite World Series teams coming into the year, the San Diego Padres going out making all those moves in the offseason. And paying off so far uh, with a 2-0 series lead over the Diamondbacks, team we didn't expect a whole lot of uh, coming into the season. And I think one of the more interesting things I took away from that series is, is we didn't really know who the Padres' closer was going to be coming into the season. It was maybe Drew Pomeranz, maybe Mark Melanson, maybe Emilio Pagan was a name that got a lot of chatter towards the end of spring training. But Two straight games now. They gave him the ball to Mark Melanson in the ninth, and he's converted both of those saves. So he could be the guy moving forward, but good at least to have depth in that bullpen either way. Melanson has been in the game for a long time. He's close for the Giants. I think he has some save situations, not too many, but a few with the Braves. And now he's with the Padres taking the reins. And he should be a good closer for them. They could honestly still have closer by committee. But I think that is indicative that he has won the role after just pitching in back-to-back games and nailing down the save. We also saw Darvish and Snell both struggle in their debut. So a bit of a sour taste in the Padres' respective tons to say because they've got both two, both of these pitchers in the offseason. And they would love to have them start on a good note, but overall they still should be fine throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, and I just think with a lot of – we're seeing this a lot this week too, a lot of the new guys adjusting to new teams, new environments. I think it's bound to potentially see some struggles there, like just getting into the new season. You might tend to see some of the best guys like start like struggle a little bit, which, which is – a big reason why I mean people say like the beginning of the season is one of the is one of the big biggest flukes in the game. I wouldn't say it's a fluke totally, but I can kind of understand stand that with like seeing the adjustments guys have had to make. So it's not surprising that like you're seeing all these some of these stars like struggle a l- little bit more. And 
and then the Padres, what I found interesting was, I mean, they had three RBIs, three hits, including a homer for Eric Costner. And I just think Eric, it's great to see that Eric Costner still has it to at first base, kind of overshadowed by a lot, by the likes of Tatis, by the likes of Machado in the lineup. But just to see Hosmer hitting too, I think the Padres are going to be a big force to be reckoned with this year and are definitely going to, and I, I would argue their lineup is almost as good as their big competitors in the NL East, the Dodgers. Yeah, and, and definitely uh, Hosmer, a guy I know who's kind of bought into that launch angle uh, thing here in the past. Uh, I believe last year was when he really started experimenting with that, getting a little bit more power on his swing, a little bit more uppercut, as, as so many guys are doing in the game these days. And paying off at least in game one with the home run and then three RBI, but another new face uh, pitching for the Padres tonight. Joe Musgrove is getting ready to go here in about 15 minutes, 8:40 Eastern times first pitch there. So see if the Padres can go three and O to start the season and, and try and keep pace with those Dodgers. But speaking of those Dodgers, it seems like a good segue. Uh, they actually won. Uh, they did not win game one. The Rockies surprised them with an eight to five win. Uh, but the Dodgers did get back on track in game two, uh, winning 11-6 to over the Dodgers. And I think really the interesting thing in game two was Trevor Bauer taking a no-hitter through six innings. But then he ends up giving up four earned runs in that start. Kind of a wild turn of events there. I mean, the, the ending stat line is still pretty good. He had 10 Ks, uh, those four earned runs, and six in a third innings of work. Uh, but, yeah, kind of a wild turn there, giving up a home run or two, I believe, in that sixth inning or in that seventh inning it would have been. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't buy in too much to the Rockies stealing a game. Anything happens. Uh, no, you're not going to win necessarily all of them against the bad teams. But the Padres are your, your early NL West leaders. That is exciting, especially because they'll be challenging the Dodgers throughout the season. But it was really fun to see the Rockies kind of take the Dodgers down a peg or two. And perhaps Mr. Bauer was pitching with one eye closed when he gave up the no-hitter. So that could be one of the reasons, or just because it's Coors Field and anything can happen on a dime. I was more surprised that Kershaw had a really tough opening day because I think he was like 7-1 and one before this start on opening day, and he got shelled by the Rockies. That was, that was tough to watch because Kershaw still is one of the better pitchers in the game, and to see his ERA balloon up on game one is – a little disturbing. I mean, hey, though, I mean, it's it's the Rockies. Coors Field, anything can happen. They always they always, they always show they always find ways to show offensive potential with whoever they have, even if they're now lacking Arenado. They have they still have other guys who can come and break through. They just offense just never seems to be the issue with that team. I thought the most surprising thing in my opinion actually was, I mean, we had one of the most surprising plays ever. Never have I seen, remember seeing the last time I saw a home run get called back or ruled an RBI single with Bellinger out. Or I, I don't even think since Lily, I remember seeing uh, two guys overlap each other on the base pass. I mean, that was, that was some, that was, that was some play there where, Bellinger hit. Justin Turner thought that center fielder had caught it, kind of ended up bouncing off his glove over the fence, and Bellinger overlapped his guy. I mean, and little did I, little did I know that if you actually lap lap a runner, that it would actually count as 
as an RBI. So then it turned out that Turner, who was the one that got overlapped, ended up actually being the one who scored and Bellinger just gets credit with a single. And that can be frustrating too, to like try to home run and only get a single. It was, it was, but to see that on opening day, it just shows kind of the, the peculiarity of what can happen in this season and in the plays that have already, and the interesting plays that have already happened or some of the ambiguous rulings of the game of baseball. Yeah, not something that you would expect to see perhaps at any time during the season. And then, boom, we get it on opening weekend. That was definitely a wild play. It kind of reminds me, I used to read Sports Illustrated Kids magazines. And like one of the first pages uh, would always have like some crazy game situation. And like, what are the rules? How would that end up being called? So that, that seems like something straight out of there that I had no idea either that would end up being an RBI single if you end up lapping them on the base paths. But Good to know going forward, uh, something that hopefully the Dodgers are going to be working on in practice. Uh, maybe Cody Bellinger doing some push-ups or foul pulls or some kind of punishment for that bonehead play. But, hey, I mean, if the guy's mashing homers, I think that's that's the most important thing at the end of the day, or, or mashing long RBI singles, I suppose. But, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely uh, interesting to see them get docked down a peg by the Rockies as well. Um, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on that pitching going forward because if it's the type of thing where – Kershaw doesn't look sharp in his next time out, then maybe there's, there's something to be concerned about there, which we don't want to read in too much to one start in course field. But if a pattern emerges, we'll we'll touch back on that. But another series interesting uh, with the, this first weekend here, the Phillies uh, ended up beating the Braves 3-2 to two on opening day. That was another one where we saw the 10th inning runner on second base rule. And Gene Segura got it done for the Phillies with a walk-off RBI single. Uh, both Max Freed for the Braves and Aaron Nola for the Phillies looked pretty sharp in that game, looking like the aces that they are. Good stat lines for each of them. Then Zach Wheeler comes out in game two this afternoon and just turns in a, a John Means-like performance. He was absolutely filthy. Seven Ks, and or I'm sorry, seven innings, 10 Ks, seven scoreless uh, innings of work in the win. He actually had two hits and two RBIs as well. So Zach Wheeler doing it all for the Phillies. And uh, the Phillies went on to win game two of that series as well. So the Braves, uh, a bit of a rough start going 0-2. Not what you expect from the Braves to start off the season. And same likewise for the Dodgers as well to lose to the Rockies in opening day. Again, this this happens. They'll both do fine by the end of it, but it is kind of hilarious. And I got to say, the one-two rotation of Aaron Noah and Zach Wheeler, that is so exciting to watch. They can both finish top 10 of the Cy Young voting. They can be some of the best one-two starters in the game. And if they are able to be competitive throughout the season, that could might just allow the Phillies to return to the playoffs. I think the, filling, the Phillies returning to the playoffs is – is not really unrealistic at all. I'm not just saying that because I looked at this season, but with the now that they, they have the, maybe their pitching pieces in the order a little bit, and if they can continue to have a deep, get a decent season from Bryce Harper, not to not to men, because I mean he still had some decent seasons despite the Phillies underachieving these past few years, and not to mention I mean having the best catcher in the game, it's just proven so valuable for them. JT Real Muto made a really clutch play on, I believe Wayne made a really clutch play on opening night so i mean of course the of course the braves i'm not too concerned about them or any of what's going to happen there but with the but with the showing the the phillies did this might be 
this 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 could be the year that just like the Angels, this could be the year they finally prove that they are that they're not that they're no longer that underachiever. And they have talent there. I mean, I think it can be it can be done. You certainly, you know, got Bryce Harper, JT Romuto on offense, as we mentioned, and it's yeah, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola is that one-two punch in the rotation. They look like they could be a playoff team, but a strong division. So we'll we'll have to see what happens moving forward. Uh, and then really the only two series that we haven't touched on yet, uh, we have the Brewers uh, winning game one against the Twins. Uh, Kenta Maeda was, I think, pretty good in that game, but not good enough to get the win. And then they are actually just started playing game two of that series now at 0-0 in the bottom of the fifth. Another pitcher's duel. Aside from Brewers and Twins, we have the Giants Mariners tied at one game apiece. Uh, they're getting ready to play game three of that series tonight at 9-10 Eastern time. Truth be told, fellas, I have not really watched very much of either one of those series, so I don't have too many thoughts to, to offer beyond that. And full discretion, I actually didn't include it in our outline as well. So no worries if you guys are not prepared to talk about that, those ones either. I think I could talk about it a little bit. I know the Brewers won opening day in a walk-off, which is always exciting. It was a RBI or a walk-off fielder's choice, and it's right to second base. They threw almost good throw, too, but they ended up winning it and still adding head first into home plate. So that was fun to watch. And I know between the Mariners and the Giants, the I think one of the teams, I, I'm forgetting which one, but one of them blew like a massive lead in the first game. And the other team ended up winning. And I know that Buster Posey's had a home run in both games so far. So hmm. he's looking pretty good after missing 2020 for COVID reasons. Yeah. I'll, I'll go up down the Mariners giants. Well, I saw and Buster Posey swings definitely looking a lot more fluid. Austin Slater had something big go on, but with the giants, I mean, it just, it just showed there on the in, in the opening night loss. I mean, they still have those bullpen struggles. Their bullpen kind of blew it, gave up a blew it, gave up a walk off walk off walk on Thursday night. So, so that wasn't great. But it's gonna so that's gonna be an interesting series between those two team those two teams. I mean, I know we're not paying as much attention to them, but maybe down the road there'll be teams we start paying attention to more, given their exciting futures. <laughs> And I know, especially with the Mariners, we got a, a couple of young prospects on the way. We're going to see Jared uh, Kalinick at some point in that outfield, Julio Rodriguez as well, another outfielder there to keep an eye on. So there, there's some young talent, as you mentioned, on the way and, and definitely futures to potentially be excited about. Only time will tell. But I think that about covers everything. It's been an exciting weekend of baseball thus far, and it's not done yet. So hopefully everybody gets a chance to catch another game or two before the weekend's over. But even if you don't, the great news is we've got like four or five months of baseball on the way. So you all get comfortable, uh, catch all the baseball that you can, and we'll be here to cover as much of it as possible. Until next time, it is the Exit Velo podcast provided by Backsports Page. Thank you all for tuning in.